you can build up certain competency, skills, abilities, training, etc., over your years and over your career, over over the course of experiencing certain things that happen to you, your education, your training, etc. But when it all comes down to it, when you know you're under stress, all that's left is kind of who you are and 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 how you're built. And I'm sure that came out astronomically with all organizations during this time because you know there wasn't really a lot of time to kind of think okay I got to purposefully act in this certain way that I've been learned or you know I've been taught how to do um, because I don't have time for that I'm too busy worrying about 17,000 things that are happening to me. everyone, it's Matt here for another episode of Thinking Inside the Box, the show where each week we tackle the most complex issues related to work and culture. If you're interested in checking out our other content, you can find us at fentohr.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. In today's discussion, we chat with Erica Nacarado, Executive Search Consultant at Fulcrum Search Science, a boutique search firm based in Toronto, Canada. Previously, Erica was a consultant with Caliper Canada, where she helped develop innovative talent interventions and programs to, con- to assist clients across the country. Um, and she participated in a number of speaking engagements, including the 2019 HR Tech Summit, also in Toronto, where we actually first met. Uh, Erica chaired a panel that I sat on that talked about innovation in technology in the HR space. Uh, she also holds a Master's of Science in Industrial and Organizational Psychology from the University of Waterloo. Uh, the interest of which stemmed from actually her time as a varsity volleyball player, where at Ryerson University, she got firsthand experience both competing and coaching high-performing teams. And over the next 40 minutes or so, we had a really cool conversation about her background, about the linkages between athletes in an academic context, but also now in a professional context, and a bit about her experiences over the last 12 weeks and, and how they've informed her executive search practice. It was a really awesome conversation. Great to catch up with Erica again, and I hope you enjoy it. So without further delay, Erica Nacarado. Hello, Erica. How are you today? I am good, thank you. How is it going with you? Beautiful, sunny day here on the west coast of Canada. <laughs> I'm jealous. We have a full overcast here in Ontario, so... <laughs> Well, that's the beauty of this time right now is that we can almost experience different people's climates. And it's like, after asking, how are people doing? It's all automatically turns into a weather conversation, which I think is hilarious because the majority of us are still trapped inside. Yeah, I know. I think it's the dawning of the fact that we're all sitting at home, hopefully looking outside of home office window and wishing we were outside. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that weather still seems to be the default conversation, especially with everything going on. Well, I think it's just something that we all can relate to and connect on. And I don't know about you, but the pandemic conversations are starting to fatigue as we start to transition from a state of, I'll call it crisis, into now a state of almost readiness and how do we move forward in this new reality. So there's absolutely a transition. And I know we're going to get into that today. So I'm super excited to ask you about that. I think it's something we can rally around. So the weather just becomes that, how is, how is, how are you doing? Which by the way, as an aside, I love how we're doing that as a society now and in interactions, everyone that I talk to now, it's how are you doing? And I, and I hear a level of authenticity in the ask 
that I didn't hear three months ago. It was like, how are you doing? I'm asking the question. I'm checking the box. Can we get to the work? Now it's, how are you doing? And I actually legitimately want to understand what that looks like and how I can be of service to you. And that for me has been a really nice side effect of this most recent period of time. Yeah, it's just been an, it's been an interesting observation that I've had. Yeah, absolutely. I think the level of empathy that a lot of a lot of people that I've been talking to has just really been displayed. And I think that and we can talk about this later on too, but I think that empathy is a hot topic just in all workplaces, especially in the past few years. I think it was somewhat performative for some people over the past few years as well just because it's a big aspect of new progressive transformational leadership, but I agree. I think that the level of empathy is being transitioned to something a lot more genuine. And, you know, we're all kind of going through the same modes of crisis and, and, and the same kind of pain <laughs> being, uh, being locked, locked inside. But no, I agree. I, I'm looking forward to the conversations about transitioning out of this. And I'm someone who's been really excited about this opening up of the province and some, some positivity, some light at the end of the tunnels. I'm excited about those conversations. So before we go there, let's talk a bit about your experience last several weeks. I mean, I think it's interesting for the listeners who've heard your introduction and your background, maybe contextualize that a bit more, Erica, like what's your professional background, kind of your personal professional journey to this point, and then we'll transition into what the last 12 weeks has been like in your part of the world. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. My background is a little bit short. I've only been in the professional world for a few years now. And it all kind of started out when I, I went to school for psychology and I played varsity volleyball there. I'm not sure if how many listeners were involved in varsity sports in their past, but it's a lifestyle and you're part of a team and you're you're part of an organization that you're constantly working for and it becomes a higher purpose that you're, you know, you're driving towards. So that really sparked my interest in going into organizational psychology. So after I graduated from Ryerson University, I went on to do my master's in uh, industrial organizational psychology at the University of Waterloo. So I was there for two years. And if you're familiar with the IO psychology field, which you know, I know you are, Matt, but it, it's a lot about organizational dynamic in the workplace, understanding the human aspect of the workplace in general. And for me, my expertise was in the realm of team dynamic, teamwork, and coaching and leadership. So that led me to working, starting my first real world <laughs> profession and real world job at Caliper Canada, which is an assessment-based consulting firm. So I did a lot of work there learning about how to utilize assessments and, and, and assist clients uh, with all organizational needs, basically using personality data. And uh, that led me to coming into the executive search world about five months ago at the beginning of January. So I'm now an executive search consultant at Fulcrum Search Science. Fulcrum uses a pretty tangible process. It's very rigorous. It's one of the, the most rigorous processes I've ever seen with, with any kind of search firm. And assessment data is part of that process. That's how my background fits into that role. So that's where I am now. And then in terms of the last 12 weeks, so especially in a time when everything is super uncertain, a lot of our clients, a lot of prospects, I would say almost all of them, the, the idea of bringing somebody on, engaging in a search, committing to building out their organization by adding on a, a mission critical role was not really at the forefront of their minds, especially with a lot of companies downsizing and a lot of companies reacting to the pandemic as 
all right, I've got to halt all investments. I've got to halt all increasing my team because I don't even know if, what we're going to look like after this. And some businesses, unfortunately, they were unsure, are we even going to make it out of this pandemic? So for me, you know, with my profession, it was a lot of conversations with our prospects and clients, keeping in touch with them, just understanding what they're going through. And that aspect of empathy that we were talking about earlier was very important. Less so it became about business development and looking to see if we can fill any needs and assist our clients in any way. It was more about, you know, we're a trusted partner. We're here for you. We're happy to provide thought leadership. We're happy to be a sounding board. Um, we're happy to provide insight into how to manage your organization at this time. So things are starting to pick back up a little bit more as businesses start to reopen and things start to become a little bit more certain as we move through this. But that's really what the last 12 weeks look like in the search world for me. And I want to get into that because I do want to understand from a market perspective, I think you have some really interesting insights into terms of what the last 12, have, 12 weeks have been like for the broader talent marketplace, if you will. But I do want to go back into your background, which is you mentioned a background in varsity sports. And while I don't have a background myself in that particular world, I do have friends and uh, contacts that have had that experience. It can be a pretty intense competitive environment, especially if it's US-based schools. And stakes, stakes are high, lots of training. You mentioned it's a lifestyle. It has a lot of parallels to the, to the corporate world in that it's a results-based enterprise. And I can certainly appreciate how that would set you up for success working in very difficult pressure cook situations. Oh, absolutely. I think what I love so much about being a varsity athlete, and so I was there for four years, and then when I went to the University of Waterloo, I started coaching. So I was an assistant coach to the, the fabulous head coach of the women's volleyball team over there. The beauty of it and what I loved so much about varsity sports was that I mentioned this kind of higher purpose mentality. So, you know, when I was at Ryerson, you have the privilege of wearing your, your school's logo on your back at all times. And you had to act in a way that, that served that higher purpose. I loved that so much. And I love the idea of working together, working with a team. I was there with 18 to 20 very, very talented women that I played with. And we went through, you do go through hell together. You go through triumphs together. You go through hell. You have moments of prosperity. And then you have moments of complete and utter <laughs> despair. And that really builds up a lot of resilience. It builds up a lot of ability to communicate with your team too, because your team is completely, you know, going down the drain. If you, you can't communicate with them in times of crisis, you can't learn how to be patient. You can't learn how to be um, empathetic towards everybody's uh, individual situation. So yeah, it's a lot of high pressure situations and moving into coaching that allowed me to learn kind of from the leadership side what that looks like and how to motivate your athletes and motivate your team to be able to come together when all most, most athletes just really want to drive apart. They want to curl up in a fetal position by themselves and hope that this is over. And it, it, it is so synonymous with the business world. It is so synonymous with what corporate teams and organizational teams have to do to be able to work through this. And I'm seeing a lot of insight, a lot of thought leadership on what HR leaders and CEOs and other leaders did during this time, which was over communicate, ensure that, you know, you kept your employees on the right track, 
but you're also being very empathetic to their mental health, how their situation has has changed and evolved with the coronavirus pandemic coming into play. So definitely prepared me for it. And I think that with varsity sports, I mean, especially when you join a certain industry, as I said, I mentioned, I joined the executive search world in January and two months later, a global crisis hits and all of the work that you've been doing gets put on hold. Uh, you got to learn how to pivot and you got to learn how to adapt to it and be able to move forward under this level of pressure and doing so allowed me to have those conversations with my clients, with my prospects, with what was going on and really, really listen to what they were trying to say without really focusing on kind of the, the pressure that I was feeling at the time. And you referenced the, the studies and the background. There's lots of thought leadership around the li- strong linkages between athletic training and corporate training and the corporate athlete moniker has been around for many, many years. I get really excited about that for a few reasons. One, I wasn't an athlete. Those who know me and my background know that I am not in any way athletically gifted. That being said, to me, the idea of harnessing and being in pursuit of individual performance to benefit broader interests, which in this case, you talked about as, as an athlete, it's a team sport, but you're very much in control of your own fitness, your own, you know, preparedness, your own mental state going into a match or to a series of matches. You have, you have a broader obligation to the team to show up as the best version of yourself because the team needs the best version of yourself to be able to, to perform. And a lot of those linkages hold true for leaders as well. And the tired analogy of grabbing the oxygen mask when you're on the plane first before helping other people holds true in in this sense. And I get excited because HR in particular has an opportunity to transform its purpose within organizations from the traditional administrative compliance focused risk mitigation exercises into a function that is focused on performance and in bringing out the best performance of the people within the organization, whether that's creating the conditions for success, giving them the right tools for success or the right coaching and support for success so that the organization more broadly can have performance that is both short-term and long-term in nature. So I get excited about that because to me, this is where you know, leaders like you, leaders like I have the opportunity to take some of the best practices, whether it's from the athletic world and apply them in a corporate sense in service to making teams more effective, but also making teams more human centric, because ultimately we all like to have success. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's so interesting because a lot of my, a lot of my work that I've done over the past few years or so has been all about creating the optimal team dynamic to have that success and to have that performance. When I was a caliper working uh, with psychometrics, this really, really brought to light the importance of, you know, having that optimal team dynamic, ensuring that everybody on a team understands each other and listens to each other and knows kind of how everybody's going to work under pressure. And this is a great segue because one of the premises of Caliper was that, you know, it measured, it, it measured somebody's natural tendencies, which basically come out when you're under stress. And, you know, you can build up certain competencies, skills, abilities, training, et cetera, over your years and over your career, over, over the course of experiencing certain things that happen to you, your education, your training, et cetera. But when it all comes down to it, when, you know, you're under stress, all that's left is kind of who you are and, and, and how you're built. And I'm sure that came out 
<laughs> astronomically with all organizations um, during this time because you know there wasn't really a lot of time to kind of think okay I got to purposefully act in this certain way that I've been learned or you know I've been taught how to do um, because I don't have time for that I'm too busy worrying about 17,000 things that are happening to me and it's so that being said it's really really important to be able to understand okay who who are my teammates at their core who's my leader at my, their core and as a leader who you know what are what are my employees like what do they need what are they motivated by are they are they motivated by achieving a certain result are they motivated by you know following a certain process are they motivated by serving other people and having that insight can make times like this very very I don't want to say easy, but easier to manage because you at least you have that understanding of of your of your team how to get the best out of them in every situation. Hey everyone, it's Matt here. I hope you're enjoying the show. Before we continue, I wanted to give a quick shout out to one of our sponsors, Benji. The future of work is today. And Matt Parsons and the team at Benji have figured out a really cool hands-on learning solution that you need to be considering as you transition your organizational learning and team building and engagement online. Now, I spend several hours a day myself on video platforms. So whether it's Zoom or Skype or GoToMeeting, they're great. They allow me to interact with people and see them in all parts of the world. Though if you're like me, once those calls go on a bit too long, I start to get a little bit distracted. And it's not too long before I'm reaching for my smartphone or opening up another tab on my laptop. That doesn't happen with Benji. They have a catalog of interactive team exercises that makes it really easy for organizations and individual consultants to develop engaging solutions at any scale. And I'll be honest, I, I've been so impressed with the tool myself that we're actually looking at using Benji to power our virtual workshops with client-facing products. So I'm actually working right now with Matt one-on-one -on -one to develop a journey mapping exercise so we can take clients through the employee experience and illuminate thousands of dollars and hours of inefficiencies that organizations tend to have in their onboarding and hiring processes. It's a great tool. And... Because you are a listener of the Thinking Inside the Box podcast, you're going to get a special benefit as well. I've talked to Matt. He wants to give as many people as possible access to this tool so they can make online learning more engaging. And you can do so as well by using the discount code BENTO20. So if you log on to the Benji website, which is mybenji.com, and you're as impressed with the solution as I am, then enter the code in BENJI20 and you'll receive 20% off your purchase. And with that being said, we'll return back to regular programming. And you've referenced it a few different ways, but this situation we find ourselves in hasn't always been easy. And it's really stressed you know, everyone I've talked to in their ability to be able to manage, whether it's their professional issues along with personal issues, there's just a lot. And it's whether it's balancing those interests in a way that feels enriching, avoiding the, the perils of potentially burnout. We're just learning a lot about the potential of leaders. And I think your point's well taken in that 
this was not the time to, to start to, to take the, the right behaviors. Like it, hopefully leaders were making investments in their team and getting to know them and building relationships that then you could leverage when there are times that are challenging. If you had to put together a team right now, it's obviously less than ideal circumstances and it's going to have some, some unique nuances. And you referenced this yourself. You joined an organization at the beginning of 2020, and I'm sure you had a plan for 2020 that was, you know, made sense in, in your head and was certainly going to be successful this year. And then March comes around, and all of a sudden the world had different plans. Talk to me a bit about that. And talk to me a bit about the the, the talent market as you saw it at the executive level pre the pandemic, and maybe how it looks differently, or if it does at all, today. I think, you know, for me, <laughs> I'm someone that's very, very, it was tough for me. So I'm someone that was, that's, that's very, very motivated by results. You know, I want everything yesterday. And, you know, it's so the first two months of me joining Fulcrum Search Science, I have a great leader right now. And, uh, you know, he did an amazing job training me. I was building out my, my list of prospects. You know, I was working towards building out my client base, that kind of thing. And then a pandemic hit. And, you know, again, I, I, I couldn't get those results that I wanted. Um, so I really had to shift my mindset into, okay, what sort of outcomes should I be looking for at this time? Um, you know, obviously it's not going to be the same outcomes that I, you know, my, I had planned for at the beginning of the year. And, you know, I had to learn how to, you know, again, shift my mindset and just be, um, aiming for outcomes that were reasonable at this time. And so, so that was, that was tough for me. And it, and it took, you know, I think like everybody, it took some time to kind of wrap your head around things. And especially when, you know, I, I think with the, with the COVID-19 pandemic, everything kind of just slowly hits you and then all at once. And, you know, I personally can say that up until, up until I think it was March 13th or March 16th or whenever it was that Ontario went into full lockdown or Canada went into lockdown. Um, you know, I was like in denial. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, you know, there's a couple of cases here and there. I'm not sure what's going to happen. The world's not going to stop. How can the world stop? And, you know, I'm someone and, and I'm, and I'm sharing my age right now, but you know, I don't really remember the 2008 recession. I was, I was, I was alive, but I wasn't working. I was in high school and uh, so it didn't affect me. So I, I didn't really have anything to reference it took me a little while to kind of wrap my head around it, but ultimately to shift my behavior and shift the outcomes that I was looking for, you know, into something that was attainable at the time. And can talk a little bit about leadership and how that's, you know, how that's been working. But one of the, one of the biggest testaments to leadership today is that ability to really um, adapt to what's going on, communicate, and be really, really open, democratic, but also still being able to make a final decision. And, you know, I think that was just super apparent at this time. And it forced leaders to be able to le leverage these attributes. And so, you know, any kind of autocratic leadership, any kind of subservient leadership, they were probably potentially struggling at this time because, you know, if you, if you ran kind of like this autocratic command and control organization and that's how you let it maybe it may have it could have potentially relieved some tension for your employees it could have potentially released some some tension for your team members but ultimately there were so many things going on and if you kind of led in this kind of very narrow-minded way of leading then you know your employees it's hard to, for them to kind of fit 
into that box. It's hard for them to kind of abide by that, especially when things have just changed completely. So if you were trying to lead in the exact same way that you were before, probably didn't work. Same thing with some kind of subservient leadership. So I've had some clients where they're, they're used to a very, um, a type of leadership that it's kind of flat with, with kind of one person at the top. And, you know, they're doing everything for the sake of that person. They're doing everything because they have this loyalty to their leader. And that kind of leadership too is, I would say, very outdated. One of my, my favorite quotes, I did some work with the Top 40 Under 40 Awards for a few years when I was at Caliper. And one of my favorite quotes from one of the award winners was that, you know, my goal as a leader is to allow me to be disposable. You know, I, my, I, I train my team and I lead my team so well, they don't need me anymore. And so that type of leadership, I think, was, you know, that transformational leadership is something that was needed right now. It was, it's, it needs to be open. You need to be empathetic. You need to be focusing on what can be done, focusing on, you know, shifting your ideals and your outcomes, changing your, your 2020 goals, changing your executive plan uh, to, to meet kind of what the world standards are right now. Um, so adaptability, I think was, you know, that, that was a very long winded explanation, but adaptability, I think is one of the, the biggest testaments of leadership and should be one of the b- biggest pinnacles of, of leadership moving forward, especially after all of this. Yeah. It becomes the price of admission. Now we've been talking about the need within leaders and organizations to become adaptable and whether it's the terms like VUCA or disruption, it's certainly been part of the, if you will, the corporate narrative for as long as I've been in in the industry. And what I would say is that in a lot of organizations though, with respect, it was lip service. We talked about disruption and major changes that were transformational. But in reality, the most of the companies that I've had line of sight into are more comfortable with incremental changes. And that could be a function of their willingness to take risk. It could be a function of constrained capital and resources. It could be a function of life cycle of the business right now and, and the competitive environment they're operating in. But for whatever reason, I, I you know, my experience is that the majority of companies were more interested in incremental changes and exponential changes. And with the, the last 12 weeks, looking back at that, it's clear that the inertia that existed in many organizations has minimized, or in some cases, been eliminated, because we now have to face the fact that organizations have systemically underfunded their workplace infrastructure. And whether that is technology, whether that is analytics, whether that is leadership or talent development within organizations and succession, the model right now really doesn't lend itself to the flexibility that's needed and the adaptability that you referenced in a world where it's possible that we go back to work four weeks from now and then have to go back to our current environment and work from home for an extended period of time and yo-yo back and forth for months at a time because we haven't got our arms wrapped around this global pandemic. It's going to require leaders to adapt their leadership style and be more comfortable with with interactions that maybe aren't face-to-face. I value a face-to-face conversation as much as the next person, but I am thinking about my own business and how I work with my own team and how we can better leverage the tools around us to replicate parts of that experience, but also understand that there is priority in coming together, albeit probably on a less frequent basis, at least in the short term. And that's causing me, even in my own leadership style, to have to think about what would be most in service to other people and how can I best support other folks. And I think that for leaders, that's a tough transition. You know, leaders, the, the, the leadership practices, if you will, to, from my vantage point, really haven't evolved that quickly over the last 
10 or so years until recently, where again, out of necessity, leaders have had to step into this new light and, and try and operate differently. Um, I'm curious, one, uh, Erica, on your points, on, on your thoughts on that. And then two is, as you think about your own leadership style going forward, what things are you kind of evaluating and, and taking stock in you know, as the days, weeks, and months go forward? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I think when it comes to being adaptable and one way to really manage this, like you said, this yo-yo kind of uh, mentality that we're going to be hopefully not having, you know, having to deal with too intensely, but, you know, probably inevitably have to deal with is that just that, that innermost understanding of who your team is. So for example, if, you know, if, if you have someone on your team that really, really likes rules and they like structure, they like process, this, this time could potentially be a, an absolute nightmare for them because they're, they're forced to kind of work from home in an environment that they're not used to working in or, or putting on their kind of work hat. You know, there's, there's blurred lines between work and and family and personal life. And so you have to kind of understand that and know that, okay, if I have this person on my team that I know really likes structure, I should be putting a lot of extra effort into implementing a structure for them to be able to follow, to be productive. And I think having understanding, piece of understanding like that is really, really important for a leader in order to be adaptable because I think that we, we, we often forget how complex humans are. And we often forget that I I talked a lot about a a higher purpose and driving towards a common goal when I was an athlete. And I think, you know, every organization has that, has their common goal, you know, has their mission statement, but also, you know, their yearly goals, their five-year plan. And, you know, that's great. You can, you, you, you can have those corporate values and you can add some kind of, you know, guidelines to your employees and how, how you want them to act with that way. But there's something about, you know, a workplace that sometimes, you know, I find that leaders forget that, Yes, you can implement those core values and those goals, but you have to understand that you're dealing with these very, very, very complex individuals that are going to get to those goals in different ways. And, you know, say you're, you're very lucky and you have some people on your team that are very similar to you. So when it comes to working to achieve that goal, the two of you or the three of you or whatever are, are, are very similar and it's just very easy. But say you have people on your team that don't exactly work in the same way. They understand the goal, they understand what you're trying to drive towards, but they don't get there in the same way. And a lot of leaders make the mistake, I find, in attributing that to they're a difficult employee, they don't fit in with us, this is not something that, you know, it's not going to work out. Or, you know, they're difficult, they cause me, they cause me issues. And uh, that, that's a huge mistake, um, I would say, right away to make that assumption without really, really delving into the fact that, you know, maybe this person just thinks of things differently than you do. Maybe they're a very skeptical person. Maybe they're very cautious. Maybe they're, you know, they're very worried about making mistakes when the rest of their team is, you know, no holds barred, urgent, kind of let's go for it. Let's take this risk. And that person may come off as being really difficult. And even worse, you take one step further, you see that very cautious, skeptical person and you think, oh, well, they're not adhering or buying into our process. And again, that's not true. So I think, I think to, to manage your, your, your team in this time, it's really important to really get to know them on that level, just so you can fully understand them and, you know, understand how to work with them. And so that being said, with my leadership style, that's something that, you know, I, I've already, I'm already completely bought into, but I'm looking to implement it even further. And, you know, if you don't have those, those tools to collect that data, which I highly recommend that you do, 
you can also have really deep, open, objective conversations with your team. And I'm working on, on having those 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 very open conversations. So just try to understand someone's thought process, understand how they work, understand who they are, so that when they act in certain ways, especially in this very stressful time, I know why. And you know, I, I I'm not frustrated and I and I try, you know, hard not to kind of make assumptions and instead just work, you know, learn how to work and adapt to them to get the best out of them. Which I think is has always been, you know, the right thing to do. But as you've pointed out, just the level of urgency to get this right now is so much more important. And I, I take solace in knowing that a lot of the things that we talk about in quote unquote, the future of work, or as you know, a good friend of mine says, the now of work, it, we were, we already had the roadmap laid out for this. So as I referenced in our, in our earlier conversation, we were very much on this path, whether it's digital transformation, whether it's more human-centric workplaces, whether it's the idea of remote work and work-life integration, not balance. These concepts aren't new. They, they've been talked about for a while. So I have comfort in knowing that there is a roadmap and there are examples where organizations have had success in moving to this paradigm. And I also, like to your point, I, I'm sobered by the fact that many organizations, including our own, had to make either minor or significant changes to how they ran their businesses and organizations to be effective in this, in this new paradigm. So I, I have optimism and I also at the same time have a level of, call it cautious optimism in the sense that we may need to move a bit further in some organizations. It, it really, to me, evokes a different kind of question that I'd like your take on, which is you're operating and dealing primarily with stakeholders at the executive level of the organization and working with individuals that are looking at organizations at that 20,000 foot view, strategic decisions, you know, into the future. And, and generally speaking, executive roles have had a location requirement. So if the corporate office for an organization is based in Vancouver or in New York City or in London, um, there'd be an expectation that executives um, would be based in that city, at least in, in large part, uh, because there was obviously significant currency of the executive team being in the same room for meetings, to align with their teams, things of that nature. Have you given any thought to how that might look differently going forward? Um, we are now obviously using technologies differently. Um, from an executive search perspective, do you see any changes uh, going forward with respect to how executives interact with their organizations? Um, and if so, what does it look like? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it depends on the organization. So there are uh, a few industries that I would say operate under a very traditional format. So manufacturing is one of them. I find that, you know, they really value in-person meetings. They value, even before this, they valued, you know, people coming into the office. There wasn't really a lot of work from home. Even if you weren't, you know, in the plants or, or, or factories or anything like that, if you were in corporate office, you know, they still really valued having you around. They wanted to see your face. They, they want to see you there. And I think with other organizations like tech, startups, health, finance, anything like that, they, they were probably a little bit more progressive before this. But I think in terms of, you know, how executives are going to be interacting with their employees moving forward for organizations or industries that, you know, weren't necessarily privy to the, the progressive formats or, or work setups. So like work from home, like Zoom meetings, doing everything kind of from a, from a remote basis. 
they were really forced into doing that at this time. And, you know, I think there's going to be some added trust in that. I think one of the biggest aspects of maybe not having a work from home policy for some organizations is they think that, well, my employees are not going to do any work or, you know, they're not going to be as productive. That's one aspect, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that. Again, I think that's kind of feeds into that autocratic, somewhat subservient leadership culture that, you know, if you're, you're holding your employees by a leash, you know, there's a, there's a certain personality that, that can kind of abide by that and function under that lens. But I can tell you that, you know, millennials and Gen Zs, they, they don't like having that level of control. And so especially if you're going to attract the next generation of talent, you do need to, you know, be a little bit more flexible in terms of having remote work policies. So I can definitely see that happening. On the other side of that, you know, the desire to not really want to implement any work from home policies is it comes from, you know, just that desire for for human contact and valuing face-to-face meetings. I personally love face-to-face meetings. I, I think they they add a lot of value to the conversation. I think it makes someone more comfortable with the other person. And, you know, before this, I always tried to have our meetings face to face. I'd like to come into their office. I'd like to meet for a coffee, whatever it was, just so I could really get to know the person. And I think what we're, we're realizing is that, you know, the technology is there. Um, you know, we're able to, to maybe have that almost similar type of vibe when you have kind of Zoom meetings or, you know, webcam meetings. And it even makes things a little bit more personal sometimes too. This is kind of a weird take, but, you know, you're, you're having conversations with people in their homes and you kind of get to see what they're, what they're kind of like, their lifestyle. There's a little bit less of an emphasis on putting on kind of like this performative professional outface or outer face to, to the client or the, the person you're talking to. So I think, you know, when it comes down to it, we're, we're realizing that, okay, maybe we don't have to rent office space or we don't have to have kind of a, an office that everybody needs to drive an hour to all the time. You know, we're going to be a, bit, a little bit more flexible and we can still get the work done and still have the same value and, and build the same relationships that we had before. And that's a great way to wrap what has been a really interesting conversation. Erica, as we look to the future, any final thoughts for our listeners? Yeah, I would say... Make sure that you're, you're, you're leveraging, if you're a leader, you're leveraging the tools that, that are available to get to know your team, get to know your employees, and really keeping this kind of empathetic outlook on, on leadership and knowing that you know, your, your teammates are all very different people and getting to know them and building that really deep connection will, will allow you to really get the best of them, especially as you have to, to move through crises uh, like the one that we're experiencing right now. Sage advice. Thank you again so much for your time, your generosity of your perspective. And I just want to wish you and everyone in your life nothing but health and happiness in what's been a pretty challenging time. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for having me. At Bento HR, we enable your HR strategy with custom HR technology procurement, implementations, and integrations to liberate your team from administration, enhance their productivity and experience, to position them at the center of your organization's transformation, where they belong. With experience as an HR executive myself, I have a real appreciation of the challenges facing today's HR leaders. The world is changing. Your industry is being disrupted. Your organization is transforming. And all the while, you're trying to do more with less. You're being asked to simultaneously model fiscal restraint while the expectations of your departments are only increasing. 
At Bento HR, we can support you at every stage of your transformation, from architecting the strategy to developing and selling the business case internally. We support procurement, implementations, and ongoing sustainment. And we tie it all together with a deep knowledge of the HR profession and over six decades of combined experiences from our founding team who has worked in or supported large HR organizations across multiple industries, including, but not limited to, financial services, technology, retail, transportation, and healthcare. Check out Bento HR today to build your very own Bento box, which doubles as your business case for transformation. Leveraging recent research into the upside of digital automation inside organizations, and with your help in answering a few simple questions related to your organization, our Bento Builder will provide a directional business case for change. So log on to www.bentohr.com and build your Bento box today.